and welcome back to Tar Heel State of Mind. I'm Nathan. I'm back this week. Glad to be back with you guys. I'd like to introduce someone new to the podcast this week. So this is Ty. First thing I want to do is give Ty a huge shout out for our podcast art. It looks great. We love how it came out. Uh, thank you so much for that. So I want to let Ty take over here. Tell tell us a little bit about himself, uh, why he loves UNC, and uh, why he wanted to come on the podcast with us. So uh, thanks for being here, Ty, and I'll let you take over. Hey, pleasure to be here, guys. Um, yeah, my name's Ty. Been a Tar Heel fan since I was born. Um, really wanted to come on the podcast just because I've been trying to start one myself. Uh, Bradley slipped in and started one before me, so uh, I figured I'd, I'd start hanging out with y'all a little bit um, before I went off and did something for myself. Um, from Tar Heel uh, point point of view, I've been a Tar Heel fan since I was born. Like I said, uh, my uncle went to UNC, my aunt went to UNC, both my cousins went to UNC, um, and when I was a kid, all, you know, all I did was watch UNC sports. Um, it was kind of cool because my, my uncle went when Vince Carter was there. My dad's got stories about them partying with Julius Peppers. Uh, so I knew growing up that that's where I wanted to end up. So um, the first memory I really had was just watching a game with my uncle on the couch. Um, and it got me hooked. And what's kind of cool now is I, I got an 18-month-old who – Dude, anytime she sees Ramsey, she's like Ramsey's, Ramsey's everywhere, man. So I get to I get to watch uh, another generation grow up, and I was worried. I didn't think she'd be a Tar Heel fan, but she's already showing me that she's going to be uh, Tar Heel, born and bred until she's dead. So, um, I so background. I I went to uh, UNC for undergrad, and then I went to UNC for pharmacy school. The joke there is um, we didn't get the national when I was in undergrad, so I was like, I got to go four more years so we can get us a national championship. Lo and behold, we win 2017, so I was like, all right, I'm out. Um, And, yeah, so I'm a uh, pediatric pharmacist back at UNC and um, still pulling for the Tar Heels. And I was telling Bradley it was cool, but uh, Armando came by the Children's Hospital uh, last week, and um, so that was, that was a cool thing that I got to see on the job. But thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's great to have you. Uh, love the stories. Glad that glad that you're here with us. Uh, your story about uh, your daughter loving Ransby made me think about my son. So my son is uh, 21, almost 22 months old, and uh, I've got him now yelling at the TV with me when UNC is on. So uh, I think I was getting on, I first noticed that I was getting on Puff. I think Puff gave up an offensive rebound and I uh, stood up and I uh, get coached up Puff a little bit and then looked in. My son was standing beside me and he was pointing at the TV coaching up Puff with me. So it's really a cool moment when you start to have little Tar Heels developing with you. But uh, yeah, so I think we have two games that we want to cover this week. Uh little bit of talking back on the season. Um, well, let's start here with UVA. So we come into the game. UVA is ranked, I want to say, 13th, something like that. Uh, they faltered a little bit in ACC play. They lost to Miami. But overall, we know what you're going to get when you go to UVA. Um, so I'll let uh, Nick or Bradley or Ty jump in here, and uh, let's start giving some thoughts on the game. All right, so I'll jump in first. Um my biggest key for like playing UVA, I know I've said this to you guys a bunch, is like if we can score over 50, we have a chance to win, right? Like, I mean, that's pretty much our threshold. I mean, even when I think the year we won the Natty, we only scored 42 points and we lost. So, like, I think for me, like the last about 
six or seven years. Like we haven't won since 2012 at, um, in Charlottesville. So my thing is if we can get over 50 points, we have a chance, which, you know, we did score over 50. Um, we had some unfortunate things happen to us in the game, but we still took an L. But, I mean, could have it could have definitely easily went in our favor, but I was kind of disappointed in however you know how it turned out. But you know it, it was a it was a tough fault game for sure. We were definitely down we were definitely down in that one. But I think it you know we took we did the best we could. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, obviously the big the big story of the game was Baycott going down um, less than two minutes in with a high ankle sprain. Um, so luckily it wasn't as bad as we thought. He went to the locker room, made, did some laps in the, um, got retaped, um, made some laps down the hallway, was trying to, or rumor was that he was going to give it a go, but ended up not playing, um, after those first two minutes. Unfortunately, um, it did go, I guess, against him with his, um, averages because he was averaging, I think he was first in points and first in rebounds in the conference. But um, since he played, he only got like one or two boards in, in those less than two minutes. But uh, big storyline, Baycott goes down, we lose the game. Um, and I think the big thing is we still had a chance at winning the game with Baycott, without Baycott. So if you would have told me we would have had a shot without Baycott, I would have told you you're crazy. But um, we did take the L, but we'll we'll get into some more details. But big story, Baycott goes down. Yeah, I'll add to that. <clears throat> so he goes down. We're like, what's what's this game going to turn into? Um, we actually had a chance to to win it. Obviously, we didn't. Uh, let's look at the positive side, though. Um, anytime one of our productive players does go down, that opens up a chance for somebody to shine. Um, and I felt like some of those players had a chance to to step up and make some really uh, key plays and had some key moments. Um, but you, you you want to see them step up and win the game, not necessarily lose, but hopefully this is just a chance for them to progress throughout the season. Yeah, and I like all the points that you guys have made. I want to add one thing. So playing UVA, you know what you're going to get. It's the worst basketball. This can be my hot take on this podcast. That's fine. It is the most god-awful form of basketball ever created. It, I hope they lose every game they ever play, but... The flip side of that is the way that they play is such a slow, low-scoring pace of basketball that when you lose a player like Baycott, you actually still have a chance to be in the game. Uh, I don't remember many games where UVA beats a team, you know, 100 to 55. That is a team that's only going to score 60, 65 points a game. If you hit your shots, if you can beat their pack line defense, you can survive without having, I don't think we had Nance that game either. So we're missing Baycott, Nance, Jalen Washington's getting big minutes for the first time in his career. I think he gassed towards the end a little bit, but that's okay. I just, I hate playing UVA, and I especially hate playing at UVA. I hate the style of basketball they play. But the good thing is, UVA, the way that they play, they can get beat by UMBC. So, as a one seed, I don't know. I hate playing UVA. But, yeah, we can talk about some more specifics from that game. I just kind of wanted to throw that part in there. Um, I think one thing I want to point out, because me and Bradley talked about these on the last two podcasts, is I don't think we have as much of a problem as playing our bench if our bench has played so far this season. Um, but when you take two starters out of the rotation that are going to gobble up 35 minutes apiece every single night, and then you're asking Puff and Jalen Washington to play 27 or 30 minutes. I mean, we've re- I've referenced the national championship multiple times with Puff playing 12 or 17 minutes and literally yakking on the court. So, like, I mean, there's it's it's all about the stamina and 
like having these guys have game ready experience and you know it, i mean it, it comes around but also another point to bring up too is we're a high volume shoot uh shooting team like you know we we shoot the ball what 50 to 60 times a game most likely you know you don't have that many possessions with virginia and if we're not shooting at a high percentage and we need to shoot more shots to stay in the game it's very difficult to win at, um that point in time too because if we're not hitting the shots that we do have then we're definitely going to fall behind yeah could could i add a um or ask a question on that note so we're playing a team like uva uh it, you know if i'm hubert i'm like okay well how, how's this going for the first i don't know 10 15 minutes all right our 50 60 shot games probably aren't going to work especially if we're not hitting early on which from what i remember we weren't shooting that great early on do you try to change that game plan early on and try to try to do something a little bit different than what you've been doing the whole year, or what's what's y'all's thought on that? Well, I think they what they have. Well, I don't know if they've been doing it the whole year, but what they've done the last few games that worked well was work inside out. Uh, you know, they fed the ball to Baycott. Teams had to double him because they haven't found anybody that can guard him. So, and when they do that, we can play inside out, kick the ball to the to the wings, and let the shooter shoot. They get good looks. They can step into the three point shot. Baycott goes out. You can't work inside out anymore. Um, so I feel like that was their game plan going in. But um, unfortunately, when Baycott goes down, you got to hit shots, and we didn't hit enough shots to win. I think that keying off the rotations we're talking about here, uh, and I don't want to single out an individual player ever and just bag on him, but uh, you should. It was. It was honestly tough watching some of McCoy's minutes. Uh, you know, it's tough when you saw some f- potential and some flashes from Dontres Styles, and then McCoy comes in. And I think there was a sequence where he was responsible that Virginia scored nine straight points when they took the lead in the second half and never looked back. And it's just tough. You know, Leakey is uh, one of five from three that game. And I know Virginia's playing a type of defense where they want a player like Leakey to shoot threes. Uh, Leakey shooting a three is a win for Virginia defense. That's what they're looking for. Uh, Caleb Love taking a deep three. Caleb took nine threes. Him taking those 28, 32-foot threes, that's a win for their defense. So we're letting their defense get wins because of the personnel on the court. But here's where my problem is, and I'm a Tyler Nickel truther. I've been a Tyler Nickel truther since the day he stepped on campus. I've said this in the podcast before. This man broke J.J. Reddick's scoring records in Virginia. He is a bucket. He can hit threes. I want him in that game where Virginia's defense wants us to shoot threes. That's what they want. They want us to take threes. And Tyler Nickel, I'm convinced, is other than maybe R.J., Tyler Nickel, I think, is going to be the best three-point shooter we have. Maybe Puff, I don't know. But that's just a game where I think Nickel can be effective, man. I, we we took 24 threes that game. We hit eight of them, 33%. Uh, we've had worse. We've had better. But uh, of those 24 threes, let, I want Nickel to be four or five of them. I just do in a game where that that's what Virginia's defense wants us to do. So that's kind of my thoughts on our bench, bench usage and what I would have liked to see. And to make a note, he only got four minutes as well and no shots in that game whatsoever. Um, so that for me is kind of tough. I don't know. Like, you are you know, you're in your home state. You probably got your family there. Like, it's kind of like a recipe for someone to have, like, a decent game or put on a show for your hometown crowd, right? And, even, you know, even it's a bummer for Baycott because I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that he was supposed to – he was trying to get 30 tickets for his family 
to be at this game. So, like, you know, it's definitely like a blow. You know, it takes the wind out of the sails when your best player, most likely your ACC player of the year, goes down one minute into the game. But, you know, that's where – that's. I mean, we're Carolina basketball, man. You should be able to sub in at any position and have someone hit – I mean, it, we've seen it. What is it? Puff, Tyler – DeMarco, every all the starters have scored at least 16 points, uh, most uh, close to 30, most of them. Caleb scored 30, RJ had 30, Nance had 28, Baycott's had 26 a couple times. So, like, you know, it's, it's just, I don't, you know, UNC's out there dangerous when they don't lose anything when you sub someone out. And, unfortunately, now with there's not a lot of playing time to be shared with everyone, you know, you're – you're kind of limping into a four versus five a lot of the times if you don't have if you don't have like that you know standard of playing twenty to twenty to twenty five minutes a game. I mean I don't know. I just feel like it comes down to again this bench has to get more minutes to then you know be competent when it comes to these games where they're needed. And I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, we can and we can talk about rotations a little bit. Um, Nathan, you mentioned McCoy had. A not so great game um, against Virginia, and there were there were segments when he was on the court where he was getting on to other players for their defensive play. When, like you said, he was responsible for a lot of UVA points on a run. Um, so I, at that point, I don't understand what Hubert was seeing with McCoy out there. Uh, I know he's a bigger body. We're down um, Baycott, we're down Nance, and we're down Will Shaver, who probably wouldn't see the court in a normal circumstance, but. Um, being down Baycott and Nancy probably would have saw some time just due to his size. Um, so that's probably the only reason I can think of why McCoy would get minutes over Tyler Nickel, over um, Dontre Styles. But he just didn't give us anything when he was out there. And there was a, a point where he had uh, the ball on the baseline, maybe 12, 13 feet from the basket. And he was waving guards off like, I'm going to take the shot, and then took it and missed the shot. So I... <laughs> He doesn't. He doesn't have great offensive prowess. So why he would take it upon himself to wave another guy off so he could get so he could get a shot up himself? I, I don't get that at all. But I think McCoy's plus minus was like minus thirteen or sixteen, something like that. But it was the worst on the team by far. And and I know plus minus is is a weird stat, but it's a useful stat. I know it's a it's a team stat because it's what happens with your you on the court with four other guys. But um, when you see a, a minus 13, 14, 15 next to your name on the plus minus, it's not a good sign. Yeah, and I, I think you are honestly being respectful of him when you say he waved them off and missed the shot because I think that was the one where he like dented the side of the backboard trying to take that shot. It was brutal to watch. So, yeah, that's tough. Uh, Dontrez didn't even log a minute. I do want to hit on something positive that game, though, because I had liked DeMarco Dunn before that game, but that was also a game where I started to notice a couple things for DeMarco. I noticed, number one, he's a great on-ball defender. He made a lot of plays. I remember he, guard, he guarded Kihei Clark a lot, stopped, off, stopped him off the dribble. Uh, he made a big three for us. He only scored five points. He played 22 minutes, but I remember thinking, 
this man needs minutes. He needs playing time. He's look, he looks like he belongs on the court. And then we won't talk about this yet because I know we haven't moved on to Louisville, but that was a building block game for what I think happened against Louisville because that's a big game for us where he played big minutes. I thought he did good. Uh, I think that Caleb is probably our worst on-ball defender on the team. I'll just be honest. Uh, he plays passing lanes. He gets some pickoffs, gets some easy steals. However, Caleb gets beat off the dribble every other time down court, and it puts our defense under massive distress. Uh, DeMarco doesn't do that. DeMarco stays in front of his man. He keeps his feet. He doesn't fall for pump fakes. I'm really, really impressed with the on-ball defense of DeMarco. Uh, Honestly, R.J. Davis is at best a mediocre on-ball defender. Uh, He gets beat off the dribble quite a bit, too. So when you have a guard that's 6'3", what is DeMarco, 6'3", 6'4", something like that, uh, and you can put him and know six, he's going to clamp. He's 6'5". Okay, so yeah. When you have a guy like that, that makes it, a couple things happen. You know that you're not going to get beat off the dribble by a guard, and that means Leaky is free to guard if they have a hot wing, if he needs to help with the big men. So you don't have to put Leaky on Kihei Clark, who's five foot seven. He's listed as 5'10". He's probably 5'7 on his tippy toes. So I, I really was impressed with DeMarco. That was the highlight of the game for me. Him and Jalen Washington getting those big minutes uh, off the bench. And I think that can help us in March. I mean, that's good experience. I hope that Hubert keeps that rotation big and keeps those guys getting minutes and doesn't... I, especially when Pete... Listen, man, when Pete comes back, Jalen still has to play. And I don't care how you do it. I don't care what rotation you set up. Jalen Washington, yeah, Jalen Washington has to have minutes. And DeMarco Dunn has to have minutes. Figure out how, but it has to happen. Yeah, a question about that too. Like, is there ever a scenario where you see a DeMarco, a Seth Trimble, a Luke Black, three amazing defenders play in the same rotation on offense as well? Yeah, I think I, I, I think yes, but um, I think Nick kind of mentioned this in our chat. When you got DeMarco, Trimble, and Leaky on the floor, DeMarco is a scoring threat. He's shown us he could shoot the ball. He's shown us he could uh, crash the boards, get a get an offensive or offensive rebound and a put back. But Trimble hasn't shown us that he can score consistently. He hasn't shown us that he can knock down the three-point shot. His jumper is just not there yet. I think he's really athletic. I think he's a great passer. Um, I think he can drive on some guys and, and finish or get fouled at the rim. But he's not a scorer, per se. Leaky, we know Leaky's not a scorer. Um, he's also shown that he can hit shots, but they're not consistent. He's not a spot-up three-point shooter. So I think the offensive um, game plan, um, when they're, if all three of them were out there, um, would I don't know what the game plan would be. I know we would struggle offensively. And going back to McCoy playing, uh, I know he didn't see any, he didn't see the court against Louisville. But when you've got McCoy and Leakey on the at the on the court at the same time, I think that's a recipe for disaster offensively because you've got two guys that hesitate to shoot um, and can't knock down shots consistently, even even open looks. So let's just talk about it for a second. What would the lineup be with those three? You could do Mando and you could do Jalen. Or you could do, like, could you go four guards and keep Caleb on the floor and put Mando in the paint and move Leaky to the four? I mean, you could do it. I don't know how well it would work. I mean, this is definitely not a 
Because, I mean, you got Caleb on the floor. I mean, probably not for his defense, but he does come up with some good steals. You got three good defenders. Mando's going to get every rebound that comes near him. So, like, you're up by a couple points. You need a couple stops. I mean, it's not a bad rotation, but you need to have a lead, I think, with this with this, um, with this this lineup. I don't think you need to um, – you need to have that for longer than like maybe maybe that's like a like calculated substitution like you know like you're like at six minutes six minutes left in the half if you can get it to the under four and give a couple of them a blow get that like four or five minute stretch maybe you know cause you never know you might have a couple fouls draw that out a little bit under four put the starters back in but like if you can just get those like you know because crunch time in the second half when you're up by five is what seven eight minutes to three. When the because you know once you get under three if you still got a good solid lead like you're gonna be able to you're gonna be able to hold it I think but like like those those critical minutes when like maybe we have like an eleven point lead seven point lead and you really want to hold hold a lead I think that wouldn't be too bad you know you give you give the starters a couple of blows and then let them let them come back in and finish out the game it's not a bad thought I mean these strategic these are where like Hubert I think needs to be like okay what's up Caleb's missed three four shots in a row. Sub him out for three minutes, put him back in under four. I mean, because, I mean, let's be honest, you're still probably going to want Caleb in the game at the end, um, no matter what, because he, he is going, he can score, and we've seen him score. I mean, I would still put Caleb in over having, you know, Seth or Leaky take the last shot. Even if, you know, even if we know, even if the outcome isn't what we want, I mean, who would you want the ball to go up from? Leaky or Caleb or RJ? You know what I mean? So. It's just something like that that we can have to think about too, but you know. Yeah, I think yes. that's more so of like a. I want to um, piggyback on that. Sorry, Bradley, you want to go ahead? Yeah, I was just going to mention one thing. I, I think that lineup with with the like the defensive players, Leaky, Seth, um, Demarco, would be more like a lineup you would play when you've got you've got to get a defensive stop at the very end of the game. Um, so just throw all those guys out there that are great on ball defenders. I think that's probably the only reason I would have all of them out there at the same time. So I have a few thoughts, and I'll try not to make this too long. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, my first problem is Love and RJ, they just need to be better on defense in certain moments. Like, you're, you've both been at UNC for three years because it kind of hampers us when we do have to try to run a quote-unquote defensive lineup. Uh, it kills our offense. We just need those guys to to man up on defense and not get blown by, not make Mondo get in positions where he gets cheap fouls, uh, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of stuff you guys talked about. But this is one criticism that I have of Hubert that we've texted about it and it drives me insane. Guys like Seth Trimble, DeMarco Dunn, not as much Jalen Washington, definitely Puff, their leash is so short on offense. If they come in and Puff misses 1-3, even if it's open, contested, end of a shot clock, they're buried on the bench like, dude, you're done. You missed your three. You took a shot I didn't want you to take. You're on the bench. Now, however, then you have Caleb Love, who can go one of 10 from three, have a permanent green light, and play 39 minutes in a game. And this is where my problem is, because how is a guy like Seth Trimble, Puff Johnson, DeMarco Dunn supposed to gain any confidence when they get one shot and if they miss it, you're going to go bury him on the bench. Tyler Nickel, add him into that group. You've got to let those guys build their confidence. This happened against Louisville. I'm going to go ahead and talk about it, whatever. Seth got a pass. This is when it was a tight game against Louisville, first half. Um, I think Louisville had a lead. Seth takes a pass in the corner, has a wide open three. This man does not even look at the rim. 
he passes it out to Leaky, who has a man in his face. At this point, there's like four seconds left on the shot clock. Leaky just dumps some garbage pass into Armando. Armando ends up getting a shot clock violation. And I think this all stems from the fact that Seth is thinking, it's not my place to shoot this three. If I miss this three, bro, I'm on the bench. I'm not playing the rest of the first half. And that's like a problem, I think, with the way that Hubert coaches these guys. Like, I don't know. I love Hubert. I'm not trying to dis how he coaches. I'm not trying to do any of that. I like Hubert a lot. But I have noticed a pattern where some of these guys just don't have a chance to get their confidence. But then when you come into the Louisville game, Puff starts hitting a couple threes, and I'm like, this is the Puff we thought we were getting. I mean, this is a man where I've watched an interview with Cam Johnson where Cam said, bro, we go in the backyard and Puff out shoots me. And I'm thinking, this isn't, something's not computing here. Where's that at? Yeah, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that. And so, and I'm thinking it's because Huber Puff knows, like, if I go out there and I shoot a three and Caleb doesn't get the shot or RJ doesn't get the shot or Mondo doesn't get the shot, then I'm not going to play the rest of the game, and that's not right. Uh, you've got to let these guys build confidence because there's going to come a day when Caleb Love, RJ Davis, Leaky Black, Armando Baycott, they're not at UNC anymore. And you don't want these guys coming in being scared to shoot, having no confidence. Let your bench build their confidence. Okay, I went for a minute, but that was my big thing I want to talk about. No, I agree. Um, You have to have this team chemistry where people can't be afraid to take shots just because they don't want to go to the bench. And I think, you know, it stems back from everyone, again, like you said, being worried about playing time because there are literally times when, like, I think pretty sure the game after Tyler Nickel had 16 points, he played like three minutes. I mean, so it's like stuff like that is like, well, what can they do to show that they're a help to the team and then get more minutes because, you know, Carolina teams, we, we're not going to be able to do, I think, the same thing we did last year where we play with five people. We should, we need, like, we could easily sub in. You remember the Carolina teams I could sub in five people and we wouldn't lose a step? Like, we would have a backup at every single position and we would still run people out of the gym. Like, the Carolina teams where we would hit, if we did not score 100 points in a game, was like was like that was like just crazy for us and I think for that two thousand five like, man yeah two thousand five like, team I mean I just I just can't have we just gotta have to have everyone involved like Jalen should be able to come in off the off the bench or Pete should be able to come in and score fifteen twenty points Jalen Jalen can show I mean Jalen actually has a jump shot too which is I mean as a freshman it's only gonna get better and but he needs to have those minutes and same with Puff like Puff gets what four or five shots a game maybe maybe. And, you know, like Mando gets his 10-12, which, you know, he can do what he wants. He's scoring. He's averaging 26 and 15 over the last, like, seven games. Like, he's doing great. And I just, you know, share that, share the wealth, man. Like, if you miss a couple in a row, give someone an open shot. Like, I just, you just have to do that. But, like, like you said, like, they miss one, they're coming right out. And then what are we going to do? We're just going to throw, throw the shots up at the rim and hope that some of them go in. And then we're shooting 31% on the year. So, I don't know. It's just... Well, they just can't be afraid to come in, and uh, you know we have to get everyone involved. Like we should be subbing. We have to. We did not lose anyone but Brady, and we replaced him. And we still have to. And we still have to, like, get these guys in. Like everyone can be subbed out and put someone in for them. But like we're just not doing it. Yeah, it's, it's about. Tri- oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm gonna whisper one thing into the abyss. It's okay to bench Caleb when he is one of 10 and heat checking himself from 40 feet. 
Okay. Yeah, I I agree, and I and I'll just tack tack on a few things here. So I want to talk about R.J. Davis. Um, Offensively, I think R.J. kept us in this game. He, I mean, he just knocked down shots, man, and he was so clutch. He had. I'll just pull up the little stat sheet here. He was six of twelve, three of five from three with sixteen points. Anytime we needed a shot, R.J. came through. Nathan, I know you don't like. RJ as a a defender, and I agree he's not the greatest on-ball defender, but the guy can shoot, the guy can make a play, he can finish at the rim, he could get fouled. He shoots like 90% from the free throw line. Um, I think he played great. Um, So we'll – so that's what I – those are my thoughts on RJ. I agree. My my one complaint about RJ, I I have two, is on-ball defense and turnovers when he has to play true point guard. Uh, But – I will never question how tough he is, his shot-making ability. That man rebounds better than any six-foot guard I can ever remember. He He's tough, man. He's New York tough. Uh, I do think that he gets himself in trouble with some crazy turnovers quite a bit, but I would not trade RJ for anyone else. I, I, I love the guy. Um, just two little criticisms of him, but yeah, overall, love the guy. Um, RJ, he played great offensively, um, so I I really appreciate him for that. Uh, So he could jump into Mr. Jalen Washington, played 27 minutes. He's played 21 minutes as a whole in his Carolina career and played 27 in this one, so it's understandable that he was super tired, not in game shape yet, um, completely to go for 27 minutes, but he had to play that many minutes in this game. Um, He played, I think, pretty pretty dang well he was 5 of 11 with 13 points he took a couple three-pointers I think his threes are in the second half so he was probably already gassed at that point they were both short uh, but his stroke looks good for a big guy Hubert says he's one of the best shooting bigs he's ever seen play um, and I think we're seeing a little bit of glimpse of that he scored in uh, a few different ways he got to the rim he got a dunk I think uh, off of a good Caleb pass and he had a great baseline jumper from about 15 feet so um if he can, you know, push that to the three-point line and hit those, knock those down consistently, give Baycott some some time, some rest, get Jalen in there for like 15 minutes a game. I think Nathan, you hit it nail on the head. He, even when Pete comes back, that man's got to play. He's gonna be Baycott's backup next year if Baycott doesn't come around for a fifth year. So, um, and then we'll t- talk about Caleb for a second. So Caleb played 36 minutes. He was four for 13, three for nine from three. Those threes came, I think, all under five minutes, and two of them came with like a minute and a half under, or 90 seconds under. Um, he just played very, very poorly. His it's, And it's just his decision-making, right? We've seen him do good things, but the man struggles to finish at the rim. He's he's good at getting there, but he goes into traffic and he just can't finish consistently. And we either need guys that can finish, we need guys that can get to the foul line. Um, and he's just and at the beginning of the season when we were playing Alabama, when we were playing um, whoever the heck else we played out in Portland, uh, Iowa State, he was taking bad shots because they were forced. They were step back threes, and he was just cr- creating bad shots for himself. But now he's getting good looks, and he still can't knock those down consistently. Um, he's shown that he can hit them, but even if you look in his, I mean, his first and second years, he hasn't had like super, super stellar games consistently. So maybe this is just who Caleb is. Um, I don't know. He hasn't shown me any differently. So, 
So do you think it's uh, it's more of a confidence thing for him versus a like he's at this moment he's selfish he's trying to prove something he's not willing to give the ball up more I mean dude if I'm you know me you play basketball with me three four hours in Woolen if I miss more than two shots I'm like I'm not shooting for the next four games we play like that's you know and and I I worry if he's trying to gain some credibility back or he's he's trying to just get his confidence back and it, and it, it just hasn't come yet um but we we can't we can't keep having him go three for nine from three and and have six shots that could have gone to somebody else and that could have been more productive. So I guess the big question for me going forward is, do we do we start playing two point basketball and and let the three when it's open let let them have it? But if if it's not there, push it in the paint and try to try to get more more points that way. I've actually been tinkering with this in my head, and it's funny you ask that. I think we should have what's called the Caleb rule. And the Caleb rule means that if he shoots, whether it's a make or a miss, he's not allowed to shoot for the next two positions, period. Because Caleb heat checks himself like no player I've ever seen in my entire life. Caleb will come down court, hit a, he'll hit a nice three, he'll, he'll take it to the rim, he'll finish, it'll look good. And I'm like, yes, that's what we want. Good Caleb. And then he'll come down the next possession and be like, yo, let me take a Steph Curry 35-foot fadeaway with two 6-foot-11 guys in my face and airball it. And it's bad, Caleb. And then the, and then religiously, the other team will come down court and hit a three. And it's like a six-point swing. Yeah, so I want to piggyback off of that, Nathan. Um, so my my thing that I've seen is like the green light gets greener the more shots that Caleb misses. And I think it's just like I think, you know, Caleb's already a legend. He hit the best shot in UNC basketball history last year in the tournament, right? Like he hit the best shot. Like you're not you're not going to get any better than that. And I, I think he just needs to relax. Like he's he's a good player. He's going to go down as a legend for hitting the the shot against Duke. Like I just wish he would. You know, these shots where he's like keeps throwing up miss after miss after miss. Like. Give those shots to someone else. Give those shots to someone who, in practice, maybe that week just smoked everyone in the in shooting drills, or you know, it, you know, it, you know. That's what a good elite point guard does. He knows when to score. He knows how to score, and he knows when to not score and maybe pass it off to someone else. And but also, if if he's not being told that or being taught that in practice or scrimmages every week, then he's not going to know how to do that in a game. And I think that's where, like, the, maybe the disconnect is, is, like, if if he's not getting told that in games and these are the shots he's actually shooting in practice, then, like, maybe he maybe he just doesn't know any better. And that's what, I mean, that's what he's been told. But, I mean, I don't know. I just, he needs to, he needs to figure out, like, all right, it's not my time. You know, I'm not. I'm not hitting. I'm not hitting these right now. Like, let's see if I can get some dribble because they're still going to. They're still going to press him. They're still going to guard him really tight. Get to the paint. Kick it back out. You got Puff there. You got Nickel there. You got Demarco down there. All three of those have shown that they can shoot threes. Heck, Leaky show, has shown that he can shoot threes this year. Like when Caleb starts getting that pass first mentality, when he you know after he's gotten gotten over the score first in the first fifteen minutes of the game. I think we're a completely different animal when it comes to the team and how we score. And, you know, just imagine if Caleb starts passing the ball, gets a couple threes wide open, then he gets a wide open three. And then now everyone's having to play, you know, Russian roulette on who's going to, who's going to hit the three or who's going to, who's going to end up on, you know, with, with Baycott down the paint for him to score six or seven in a row. You know, it's just, you know, if you can get the whole piece 
all the pieces of the puzzle together, I just don't see anyone beating us. But we just gotta. We've, that's the, I think that's our one key piece is that um, that okay, you know I, that the the willingness to not shoot even though you can and maybe find the better pass first is what we're missing. Uh, I think we've got to protect the ball better. I think we had 13 turnovers um, in a low possession game. So when you've you just got to take care of the ball because I think we uh, – live ball turnovers, I think we had 9 or 10 out of our 13 were live ball. So that just creates runouts for other teams. But especially against a good defensive team like UVA, you got to make sure that you take care of the ball. Um, cherish the possessions that you do have and at least get a shot up on those possessions. So, um, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, yep. So we had 13 turnovers. Four of those came from RJ. Four of those came from Caleb Love. Again, eight of – our 13 turnovers um, come from our veteran guard. So can't happen in a, in a game like that. And that would have been another quad one win opportunity. So, I mean, we, we didn't get it, but we've got to, we've got to start stacking some wins, got to start stacking some quality wins. We can't just beat teams we're supposed to beat because when it comes selection, selection Sunday time, um, we want to make sure that we've got enough, enough quad one and quad two wins to, to get a decent seed. Oh, also, uh, Vanderplas had 17, and he averages seven. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, uh, that was Not that surprised. was as predictable as anything else. I, I have one last closing thought, and I texted this. I've cooled down since then. Listen, man, we're spoiled. We've grown up with Carolina basketball. This is two years in a row. After 17 games, we've been 11 and six and not ranked. And I'm over the excuses. Uh, I'm sorry. Have some pride, boys. Like, I know that that was a game where Baycott went down. We didn't have Nance, but it was a winnable game. And 11-6 and six after 17 games. I know last year we went on this crazy run, went to the national championship. We buried Duke and Coach K. But I'm going to tell you right now, that is the exception, and it's not going to be the norm. When you start trying to poke into the NCAA tournament with an 8, a 9, a 10 seed, you're going to start getting clobbered by one and two seeds in the second round. I mean, listen, man, we're Carolina basketball. We fans, players, coaches, we've all come to expect ex- excellence and 11 and six after 17 games isn't going to cut it. And, you know, we need to be 14 and three, 15 and two at worst, 13 and four. But we need to be ranked at this point in the season and we need to have some quad one wins ready to roll into the tournament. And uh, that's my closing thoughts after after 17 games in the UVA game. Okay, so I guess I'll roll us into Louisville. Uh, so, we come into Louisville. Louisville is the worst. I I don't follow Louisville that closely, but I bet that's probably the worst they've ever been. These dudes are 2-15. and 15. Uh, It's a storied program. They've won national championships. They're a proud program. Uh, Kenny Payne, I, I don't know what's going on down there, man. It's... Uh, I, I'm assuming their fans are not happy, but uh, we come into Louisville against a Nathan. team that's two and fifteen. Yeah, um, I was going to add this as well. So um, I was listening to another podcast. They said that um, out of Power Five teams, this is the this Louisville team is the third worst team ever in the history of the Power Five conferences. Bro, um, as unreal. far as like Ken Palm ratings, it, yes, it's so they're like three hundred and fifty third or something out of three hundred sixty three teams. It's it's really bad. If this was a team like Rutgers, Wake Forest, even I, I bag on Wake Forest. I'm from Winston Salem. I don't like Wake, so uh, you know Rutgers, Wake Forest, 
team like that, I get it. But Louisville is a storied program. Rick Pitino, national champions in 2013. Uh, Kevin Ware snaps his leg in half. Uh, it's this is a storied program that, that them being this bad is really weird and Florida State too honestly but really Louisville mainly so we come into this game and this is a game where any Carolina fan tells you regardless of who plays a lot of people need to get playing time and we need to win by 40 so uh all that's kind of the backdrop coming into this game and I'm going to let you guys pick it up on what you saw and what you thought yeah I can go ahead um for me, I, I felt like the game still started kind of shaky. Uh, there were still moments like I, I want the old Tar Heel teams. I know I know it's a new era of Carolina basketball. Um, I think I'm still I still have that disappointment from last year of like going that far, trading one player, and 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 now we look like a completely different team that has never played together. Um, but. Uh, for the Louisville game, you know, we we pulled out the win. The score was eighty to fifty nine. Uh, for pl- playing a team as low ranked as Louisville is, and based off the stats we just talked about, uh, with this being like one of the worst teams they've ever had, we sh- we should have beat them by far more than we did, and we should this should have been a one hundred point night uh, if if we're shooting the ball well. So I was disappointed. There. I think this <clears throat> for me. I know we talked about this earlier. I think this for me was a you let Baycott sit, rest his ankle, start Jalen Washington, move move uh, Leaky to the four, start Puff at the three, and then let RJ and Caleb run, and then you give DeMarco and Dontrez and Tyler Nickel and Seth as many minutes as you possibly can. This is an ACC game. They can get ACC minutes, ACC experience, and you're resting your two starters. I mean, to be fair, we didn't we didn't need Armando. I mean, we started out terrible. Like, you know. By the way, I got a rag on y'all in the group chat. Y'all make it seem like we're down by like thirty, and I look at the score and it's like eleven to thirteen. We're down by two points or like seven Nick, to thirteen. And you guys, I, 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 y'all stress me out more than like the actual game because I can't go five minutes and it's like I, I got to turn this off and enjoy my Saturday. And it's like Nick, 7 to 13. Nick, listen to me. Did I not say in my wrap-up about UVA that we expect excellence? This is North Carolina basketball. Losing to a 2-15 and 15 team that, per Bradley, is the third worst team in college basketball history after 10 minutes of the game is not excellent. So, yeah, we're going to be mad about that. And I'm sorry that we hurt your feelings. We'll give you hugs. I guess I guess that's fine, but man, I just I don't know. I just I felt like this was a hey, we're this is an easy dub. Let's get some guys some playing time. Let's see who can actually play. Who's who's got the clutch gene? Who's gonna who's gonna be the assist guy? Um, and you know, if we started out better, I feel like that's what it would have turned into. Like um, Mando played twenty five and had what a double double in fourteen minutes in the first half. I mean, he he did fine, but you know, get him get him his double double, sit him down. He only played twenty five minutes, but I mean, he probably could play like eighteen if we'd have started out like a decent team. Um, you know, everyone played in the twenties. Caleb played thirty three, which is interesting, as you know, zero for seven from three, three for fourteen from the field. <sighs> yeah, it's a good time. Um, he did break. Unfortunately, he did break his three-point streak. I think it was at 45 games he had hit a three in. And let me just lay into this real fast, okay? You could tell at towards the end of the game he was trying to get his three. There were two or three plays. He had two offensive fouls where he was trying to drive, do his step back, his little, his little Caleb Love step back to get a three-pointer, and both of them were offensive fouls. 
two turnovers. You know, that's this is what I'm talking about when you have to read the game. You're 0 for 4, 0 for 5, 0 for 6. There's 10 minutes left. You're, you're up by, you know, 20 points. Like, give – Pass the ball out. Pass the ball around. Like, find someone. He found – and then after he did this, after he missed his three threes in a row and had two turnovers, he dribble-drived, dished it to Puff for a three. I mean, it, it, it was simple. It was easy. It was a great play. Well, I don't understand why you have to go through the through the three clanks off the rim before you get to the what you should have done in the first place. But – yeah, you're not you're not wrong. I mean, it goes back to making good decisions. I mean, it's not about you; it's about the team. Um, I know you might be frustrated, mad, upset, whatever, but uh, you're trying you're trying to win games. You're trying to build your team back up. You're supposed to be the leader. When you're playing me, me, me basketball, it's not going to end well for anybody. Um, but a kind of transition, though, you know, Baycott comes in like like we talked about. His ankles busted and still puts up you know great numbers and um so that that was encouraging to to me and i guess the question with that is we talked about three defensive players in the lineup in a game time decision depending on if we're up and we need to hold them right now let's talk about i you know do we see washington and Bacot together ever i mean i want to i i I'll, I'll pose even a bigger picture question when pete nance comes back does he start it's a great question Based on what we've seen in the last few games, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, we've seen we've seen Pete be productive, but we've also seen Pete disappear in games. Um, given worst case, they split time and each play twenty minutes. Just think about that. Worst case, he didn't play thirty eight minutes; he plays twenty. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Um, Jalen played what I said twenty seven minutes in the UVA game and had thirteen points. He played nineteen minutes um, against Louisville and had he only had six points, but um, he was getting to the free throw line. He only shot twice. He made one of those, but. Jalen's shown that, I mean, it looks like he's been as productive as Pete has been, um, although Pete is more experienced. I still think Pete gets the nod at the starting role when he comes back, um, but I think Jalen will get more minutes than he has been. He'll probably, I'm, I'm hoping to see him get 18 to 20 minutes a game, so I think that would be good for him, especially with what he's shown us, um, what, his, what his game can be, I think. He's definitely one of the most talented and has one of the most upsides um, on on the team. So I uh, would love to see him get some more time. I think this was a game that I wanted to um, talk about Puff and his three-point shooting ability. Didn't he have back-to-back threes in this game? And they were Silent smooth. killer, man. He's a silent threes. killer. And, and weren't they in transition, both of them? One of them, was from, one of them was a transition three, I think, on the wing, and then the other one from the bench side was more of a set three. But either way, like – Give the man the ball. Let him shoot some. Like, this is a game, I think, for me, where, like, you critique what you have been working on in practice. Like, this is a game where you work on your craft. It's game time experience. You let people figure out what works and what doesn't while still, you know, getting a win and getting good minutes in. And I feel like we we got that a little bit. You know, Dunn hit a couple good shots. Dontrez played. Dontrez played pretty well, didn't he? I'm pretty sure he played. He had a yeah, couple, he. Yeah, Dude, like he's he, dynamic. He had a couple dunks, I think. Uh, he he looked like he belonged on the court. I I I have to wonder. I have to wonder if there's more that's gone on behind the scenes with Dontrez because on paper, McCoy getting those big minutes against Virginia, something does not make sense with Dontrez not playing. It just it doesn't based on what I've seen on the court. I'll I'll actually 
complain a little bit. Uh, I I don't understand why Nickel can't get in that game more than the last mop-up three minutes or whatever it was. Like, we've watched enough Carolina basketball to know if Tyler Nickel was at Wake Forest, NC State, name another ACC school. He comes in and hits like seven threes against us. As a freshman, it doesn't matter because we know he can shoot. I, I just cannot figure out to save my life with a team that is statistically as poor of a shooting team as we are. I think last I saw, we were either dead last or second to last in the ACC in three-point percentage. Uh, it's bad. And there's just, I, I can't be convinced that Nickel can't help us. And I know that the the counter argument is going to be, uh, he gave up the backdoor cut on D whenever he was playing, but man, you got to learn from it and you got to have a chance to fix it and do it better the next time you play. And this is what I'm talking about with Hubert short leash, because he sees one thing like Nickel gets beat bad on a backdoor cut. And then it's like, okay, Nickel's not playing the rest of the year. He gave up that dunk, gave up the backdoor cut. Uh, he's done. But then he comes in against Louisville, gets the last three minutes of mop-up time when we're up by 21 and the game doesn't matter, or 31, whatever it was, and he bangs out a three. And I'm like, dude, like I know he can do this. We just have to let him come in the game. Other teams, he would be on the floor hitting these threes. I'm not going to call him. I, I don't think he'd be as good as someone like Grady Dick or anything like that, but I think he could be Grady an Dick. Important... Yeah, I know you guys love Grady Dick. That's why I said that. I wanted to get y'all grinning, but... I just, I, I don't know, man. I think he could be something for us. I think he could be a guy to come in every game and hit two threes and average eight points, something more than what he is. Yeah, to to that point, too, think about it. He backdoor cut two points. He goes down, hits a three. He's he's up by one, you know, and, and you take away that. That might be it. You know, that might be the main thing. We're not, we're not Hubert. We're not a, you know, we're not a head coach, but I, I like where y- y'all's heads are. At because you start giving these guys confidence, you you reinstill that in them. They start playing better basketball as a unit. But the moment they mess up, you strip them. Well, now you're enabling Caleb to be able to mess up, whereas anybody else doesn't get that fair trade. Um, that's tough to watch, man. Like if anything, humble Caleb a little bit, take him out, let those other guys shine, and then make him realize like, hey, I'm just like they are. I gotta start showing up again. I gotta start earning my minutes back. If if anything, that's gonna make him a better player when we need him in in March. If we even freaking make it, like I'm right now, it's I'm having flashbacks of NIT years. Like no joke. And I hope we made that right now. Yeah, I mean, I think enable is a great word in this in this case. Hubert is enabling Caleb to do what Caleb wants to do and that's to shoot as many shots as you possibly can. He was 3 for 14 in this game. That means he missed 11 shots, and that means that's 11 shots that could have spread could have been spread between Nickel and Dunn, um, Styles even. Like, you you got to get these guys some burn, um, and, and you've got to get them burn in ACC games where they can um, play against good competition and in games where they can exact exactly what you, you guys said, build confidence. And when Caleb's playing 33 minutes a game, shooting 10% from the field, it's not getting it done. Um, and I just, I don't know what else Caleb can do to earn a seat beside Hubert on the bench. Not for the full game, just for, Dude, it's I don't weird. know, I, 10, I've never, 10 more minutes. We're, we, we, and I've mentioned this a lot tonight, 
UNC basketball and what we've watched with Roy Williams, uh, none of us are old enough to remember Dean Smith, Bill Guthridge, watching every game. You know, we know what they did. But really, I think our memory starts with Roy Williams. And we saw if Roy Williams coached Caleb Love, uh, I'm telling y'all right now, man, his minutes this year would be about 16 to 18 minutes a game based on what he's doing on the court. And okay, and Roy that's, would put that's, in... That's a great point. Let's let's talk about that because who was who was Caleb's coach his freshman year? It was Roy and exactly. And, and, and who was buried speculate. on the bench? Who was buried on the bench uh, right beside Roy? It was Caleb Love. And who started in his place? Kerwin Walton because Kerwin was hitting shots and Caleb wasn't. And, and I'm not going to speculate, but all I'm going to say is the facts are that freshman class with Walker Kessler, Caleb Love, Roy retired after that. And that's all I'm going to say about that was that that pushed Roy into retirement. Now, it could have been some of the NIL and things that were changing in college. And uh, I just know, you know, we've seen enough of Roy where Blue Steel would be in based on some of the stuff Caleb does. And Caleb would be on the bench sitting beside Roy. There there would be no 32-foot heat checks with two dudes in his face. That would not happen with Roy Williams. And I'm not saying Hubert has to be Roy, Roy because I there were some things that I thought Roy could have improved on. Hubert's going to be his own man and his own coach, and that's fine. But I just don't think you can let one player dictate everything. It, it just it feels to me like Caleb is Michael Jordan and is going to do what he wants, and he's untouchable, and he's not. He should not be. And And I don't mean to bag on the guy and, you know, talk negatively about him I think he can be an asset to our team Nick mentioned the man hit the probably biggest shot in UNC history he buried coach K in the final four that may never happen again in our lifetimes that those two teams play in the final four but that doesn't give him the right this year to come in and do what he's doing in my opinion listen he's gonna he's gonna make shots I think for him it's getting I think Instead of him trying to get going and then get others going, if he would reverse that and get others going, it's going to make his life so much easier. Like, I just, you know what I mean? Like, if, if like, you guys can ch- ch- chime in whenever, but, like, you know, you, if you get, give Baycott the ball four or five times. Give Puff, let, let Puff shoot the ball four or five times. You know, you'll, you're going to get an open shot. It might not be as many, but, like, it, you know, it's just tough. It, it's like, you know, you, you spread the wealth, the wealth, you know, it's, it'll pay you back in dividends. You're my, right. Go ahead. My, sorry, and I'm going to wrap up here because I know I need to give you guys some time. My problem with Caleb in a lot of games this year, and I think you can really point to the ending of the Virginia game. Caleb, I won't say it's all him, but he shoots us out of games. And then at the very end, with like a minute left, he almost shoots us back into it. Like, you know, it's it's right there. And I think for some fans, like, you know, I'm on a message board, whatever, and th- those people are like, you know, only Caleb Love can do this. Only Caleb Love can hit that shot to put us back in a position to win. And I'm I'm thinking, he's the one that put us in this position in the first place. He, he shot us into this position. And now he's trying to shoot us back into the game, and he's made a couple nice shots, two threes in a row. But then he comes back on defense, gives up a blow-by dunk, and the game's over. It's the Caleb Love experience, man. Caleb Love can play you out of a game, play you back into the game, and then play you right back out of the game. And that's where I think there is frustration and misconception on some fans' part where it's like, no one else on the court can hit that three, and you're probably right. Other than maybe RJ, no one else can hit that shot. But then, you know, Caleb gets blown by and the game's over. Virginia gets a dunk. They're up by five. We have to – whatever. And that's the Caleb Love experience. 
All right, I'm gonna yeah. let you guys go now. Oh, you're good, man. I, I yeah, I I agree with that, and I also think you know we talk about trading a good shot for a great shot. We haven't been doing that great of a job at that. The other piece that I've talked to Bradley about too, dude. I will take an R.J. Davis mid-range shot any day of the week. That boy is money from mid-range. If he takes five of those and hits three, that's more than the five threes that Caleb's taken and hit one, you know? And I struggle with Caleb trying to lead this team and not doing a very good job at this moment. And I, and I wonder if, hey, why, why don't we feed people in the areas that they're strongest? And I, I'm telling you right now, you put the ball where people are hot from, you're going to see results and you're going to see a better score, you're going to see a better team, and that's just going to carry on throughout the season. I mean, even even if you set up picks, set up picks for RJ to hit that shot that he's consistent from. Set up backdoor screens for Armando. Like, play the in-and-out ball, and then let Caleb have it less times, but when he has it, it's a great shot. It's not a good shot. It's not a turnaround fadeaway three that he likes to throw up that he hasn't hit all year. Um I don't know. I I feel like playing to playing to the players' strengths is what we're missing right now. Find that thing that they're good at. Keep feeding them right where they want it. Let's also just like reel reel it back in for a second because let's also make it very clear that Caleb is still our second best player on the team. Like he's still our second best player. Uh, okay, second, third. I mean, you can switch. <laughs> you can switch RJ and and Caleb, in my opinion, depending on who's hot and who's not. But like, this doesn't also apply to just Caleb. Like, this applies to RJ. This applies to Baycott. This applies to any starter who has just clanked six or seven shots in a row and is having a str- you know struggle busting for a couple minutes. Switch them out. You can switch Seth with Caleb. You can switch Seth with RJ. You can switch Seth with Leaky. Like you, it doesn't matter. You know, I just, you know, you can switch all of these players in and out and to see what puzzle fits at that moment in time. Like this, you know, we don't want to keep it on like a let's rag on Caleb kind of thing. Like, I mean, he's still going to get his shots, but I was looking up his minutes. He plays 36 minutes a game. He's still going to shoot the ball 15 times if he plays 30 minutes a game. You know, like he like give those six minutes like that's that that six minutes right there. That is two three minute breaks between seven minutes and the under four timeout in both halves. That's it. He's still playing from 20 down to seven and then, you know, four to under. He's still playing 30 minutes a game. He can still get his shots off, but like you know, it's just about it's just about those strategic times when he can't you know put up those shots and when he can't. But you know, it's just uh, you know I just I think to his demeanor on the court when he's not hitting shots really affects the other players on the court because you saw he had two offensive fouls. This man was heads this man's heads down. He's like not getting back. He's not he's not looking into it. Like you're up by 20 points, man. You should be getting these guys off the bench like the ball. You should be jumping up and down, you know, three is in the air when everyone's shooting. Like you should be getting these boys involved. You know you're going to get yours. Get these other boys involved. It's only going to pay off in the in the end. Okay. So let's I agree, Nick. You're you're right. Uh let's talk about two things. Let's talk about one the refs in this game, I guess both games, because the offensive, uh, the charge block call has been terrible, terrible, terrible all season. So let's get let's get some opinions on the charge block for these two games um, from from any of you guys. 
it's freaking terrible. There, there's no other way to describe it. Refs have no clue what a charge and a block is. I've seen some of the worst calls in Carolina and non-Carolina games. I think I've seen ever in college basketball. Tyler Hansbrough has been going nuts on Twitter about it nonstop this year. Uh, I, I don't think refs know. Dude, half the time they're calling charges when they show the replay back. The, the defender's feet are halfway in the circle. They're moving. They're running underneath defenders. RJ, I remember one against Kihei Clark. It was a huge moment in the second half towards the end of the game. Kihei Clark is grabbing RJ's wrist, shuffling sideways, falling down, holding his wrist, and they call a charge. I... That was an atrocious call. That's the one I saw on Twitter. It was absolutely disgusting what these what these refs are calling. And I don't even know if they use this circle as guidance to call charges and charges or not. Because I've seen charges where their feet are in that circle. And then they argue that he's set. So, like, that takes precedence over the circle and then vice versa. So, like, you don't know what what is the real rule and what's not. Or, like, you know, it, I don't know. It's just, it, I don't I don't know. It's just, but it really kills, it kills the flow of the game, too. Here's, here's my thing. So. They don't know, so we don't know. If they don't know and they're, it's their job to call it, how are we supposed to know? And how are the players supposed to know? And how are the coaches supposed to know? It's hilarious that they came in this year with the point of emphasis from the refs being the the fake flopping and all that. But I feel like charges and the flopping, like Kihei Clark, like we're talking about, is at an all-time high. So they don't know. So how are we supposed to know and how are the players supposed to know? That's my big thing. And there was one play against Louisville where I think uh, it was Seth Trimble. He was driving baseline uh, and went up for the basket, got the basket, but they called a charge on him. But the guy slid up under Seth when he was, you know, up in the air. And that's so dangerous, too. Like, if you slide up under a guy when he's, you know, three or four feet up in the air trying to finish around the basket, he could have broken his wrist. He could have broken his – he could have broken anything. Um, so not only is it just – it ruins the flow of the game, it's ruining the college game in general, but it's – um, it's dangerous for the players, uh, and they don't, and they don't, they don't know what to do. Uh, and there were a couple of charge calls against Caleb Nick that you mentioned. I'm not sure they were charges. He was just kind of trying to make a move around the perimeter, and guys are just falling down, and they're calling a charge. So um, he's not getting upset about it. Hubert's not getting upset about it. And they're just expecting it because that's the way their game is being called now. Yeah, think, think about this. All right, bring Grayson Allen back now, and he probably doesn't get called for anything. We don't, we don't say his name on this podcast. <laughs> You, you you can edit that out. You can edit that out. Um, the second thing I wanted to talk about was Demarco Dunn. Um, I and Nathan, you mentioned him a little bit against UVA, but this guy I think is is coming into his own. He played twenty five minutes against Louisville. He was five for seven, two for three from the three point line, and fourteen points. Um, he also played great defense. He had five rebounds, uh, two offensive rebounds. Um, DeMarco had a great game, his best game of his young college career. I think if he can get some more uh, playing time, that he could be a great asset to this team. He might even be this knockdown shooter that we're trying to identify. So if if he can get more minutes, uh, get into the more flow of the game, try to get some um, some open shots. He And he, get, he gets great looks. I don't know if teams aren't respecting him as a shooter yet, and that's why he's getting good looks, but... Overall, getting pretty good looks and, and knocking down some of them. So if he can knock them down a little bit more consistently, I think he can be that that guy for us that can knock down a shot. Here's my last um, thing about the Louisville game that I think kind of ties into maybe the future of Carolina basketball. 
when are these guys going to hit the floor enough to where they feel comfortable to play next year? Because who's going to be the players that are going to play next year? Let's say, like, in an ideal world, who's leaving this year? Nance is gone. Baycott's gone. RJ, if he play, you know, if he has a dynamite year, he might be going somewhere. I don't know where. I don't think it'll be the NBA, but he may, he might leave. Caleb most likely is gone. So there's we're you know we're, this is a total like this is a we need to start laying this foundation for these you know next year we got some recruits coming in which we'll touch on in a little bit, but we're gonna have Puff as a senior, Demarco will be a junior, Dontrez is a junior, Nichols a sophomore, Jalen's a sophomore. We we're. UNC basketball is built on having juniors and seniors on the team. and But I don't know of a basketball team that UNC has had that was built on juniors and seniors who didn't play as sophomores and freshmen. So they, that, that's, where, that's what worries me, and that's why I harp so much on the roles that these younger guys are playing. It's like they're going to be here for the next two to three years. They need to see the floor before they are asked to carry the workload and that's where like i think it troubles me for the future like you know the time is now to win a national championship don't get me wrong like this is our best shot to do it but we have to do it while also giving these guys some playing time so like for the future of carolina basketball we can continue this wash wrench repeat of juniors and seniors coming in and us being consistent every single year so i know the future of carolina basketball is armando baycott yeah, I think Armando's back next year. I think he's going to take the COVID year because uh, Armando, I love him. He's becoming one of my favorite Tar Heels. He does not have an NBA future, I don't think. I think his future is probably overseas, and I think he can probably make more in NIL next year. Uh, I do think Armando's back. We'll see. I know we're kind of running out over time here. We've gone over an hour. Uh, one thing I want to talk about on our next pod that I really want to dive into is what do we do if Caleb and RJ come back next year? Because that's going to start to screw things up bad. Because then you're starting to think about Caleb, RJ, DeMarco Dunn, Seth Trimble. That's that's four guards for two guard positions. Then you're going to add Simeon Wilcher, who's a big-time recruit. Who Someone's going to start getting squeezed out, and it's not going to be pretty. Uh, I think that the best thing for UNC going into next year might be that Caleb and RJ move on. I, I don't know. Maybe not RJ, maybe Caleb. But if all four... Four of those guys are back next year, and Wilcher is coming in. And there's also starting to be some rumors that Cato might reclass. This is going to be a logjam. But again, I think that that warrants a big, longer discussion than we have to do right now because I know that time is running a little short. But uh, just food for thought for a future episode. Is there any way Leaky can get a six-year? I want him back. There's no Leaky slander. I don't want to hear nothing about it. I don't want to hear nothing about it. I need Leaky back again. I, I told I told I'll say one more thing. I told my wife though today because uh, I was shooting on my little tights basketball goal, and I said technically uh, I have four years of eligibility for every single sport at Carolina right now. So <laughs> <laughs> just go through pick whichever one. Yep. We did win some intramurals, so uh, maybe maybe that's good enough to walk onto a team. Um, so we'll talk about what's coming up this week. We got Boston College at home on Tuesday night. That's a 7 p.m. tip. We got NC State at home as well on Saturday. I think that's a 4 p.m. tip. So Boston College, uh, not super great this year. Your typical BC team, they're eight and nine, two and four in conference. And NC State is actually not doing terrible this year. They're 14 and four, four and three in the conference. 
Um, they did beat Duke. They beat Miami. Um, although Duke is not very good this year either. The ACC overall, is, I think, is don't, down. Don't but us. We haven't played him yet. <laughs> I just want to say one yeah, thing. You're... Nick, if you think our group text is bad, normally we lose to State. You might have to leave it, bro. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> about no that. Shot. Oh, and also, let's let's talk about this. BC only lost to Duke by one possession, at, I think, at the end of the game the other night. So, I don't know. I, you can't count anyone out of the ACC. And they choked. The they should have won. If my Ugh. if that big dude Post, my man's got, like, butter hands. Like, he got them gumby <laughs> hands. If Post had any type of power in his hands and grabs a rebound, Boston College beats Duke. So, you're spot on. You can't. We cannot overlook Boston College and start looking at State. Uh, I'm, I'm going sorry, to the Bradley, Boston go College game. I'm going to the Boston College game on Tuesday night. So I'm a two and zero this season. Looking for three and zero. You got courtside? No, sir. Mezzanine. Nick, you want to talk about? <laughs> you want to talk about last time we had courtside tickets? What you did? Oh, it was a great time, man. It was that was that Jordan Brand classic. Okay, yeah. We won't talk about our courtside tickets <laughs> and what you did. We'll leave that. It was we'll, a good time. we'll leave that story for off the pod. I was on the best women sharpshooter in the history of NCAA Division One basketball. That's what I was doing. Okay, you're right. Okay. Okay. She's about to break that record. Taylor Robertson, <laughs> about to break it. Shout out her. She's a shooter. Shout out to the anybody. Got anything else? Took a nap in. Yeah, last thing for me, I appreciate you guys having me on the pod. Brad, appreciate you uh, setting this up. Um, Yeah, man, thanks for letting me be a part of it. Doing the artwork was probably the funnest part for me. The fact y'all are using that now is is awesome. If y'all need anything else. Have to make some t-shirts. Yeah, dude, those would be sick, man. We'll get the t-shirts are working and the work in progress. Do it, man. Whatever y'all need from me, just highlight at me. I'm I'm happy to be a part of it, but I appreciate tonight and uh, I'm wishing y'all the best, man. I want to be listening to this ten years down the road, man. I want my my daughter listening to this and I can say, hey, your daddy was on episode five, so. Y'all keep it going. Well, I hope it's more than just episode five. We'll get you back on. Uh, uh, listen, yeah. in ten years, we're going to be broadcasting these live from the Dean Dome every week. We're 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 this right. is what we're going to be doing. This is the end. This is the main goal. I think to get there, I think to get there, though, we're not allowed to criticize anymore because I'm telling you, when you look at the people that have access, bro, they do not criticize anything. <laughs> it's it's not. We just we're just having a podcast about. Well, everyone, all of our opinions and how to maybe improve Carolina basketball. We're not hating on anyone. It's just a good time for all of us, and it's just we just hope that it's we all, get our opinions. It's all love and criticism here. It's because you know what? I will say this, and this is true. I'll sit here with four Carolina fans, and we'll criticize. But if a state or a Duke fan said the same things we're saying, I'm going to war. And I oh, want to make that exactly right. I want to make that. We can criticize our own team, yeah, yeah. but the, we, no one else can. You say something about Caleb Love to me, and you're not a Carolina fan. We're going to war on the spot exactly immediately. Right. Exactly. So right. I want to make that very clear right now. All right, boys, that is a wrap on episode five. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us this week, spending an hour in a Tar Heel state of mind. Thank you for to our special guest Tyler for coming in again. This is Nick Bradley and Nathan, and we will see you next week. Go Heels.